Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. The color chartreuse has a bit of a boozy background. It was named after a French liqueur called chartreuse, which is a greenish yellow hue. The liqueur was first produced in 1605 by Carthusian monks of France. Francois Hannibal Destray, apologies if you speak French and I butcher that name, but that's the person who discovered the secret recipe that allegedly helped its consumers live a long life. He brought the recipe to monks near Paris, who ultimately sent it down to La Grande Chartreuse Abbey. The recipe was eventually tested in 1737, and about 60 years later was tweaked to create green chartreuse. This new and improved chartreuse boasted a more mild flavor profile and is the recipe still used today. 75 years later, Frere Bruno Jacquet, again, apologies, <laughs> crafted another tweaked version of the recipe, which became the yellow chartreuse that we now know and love, the sweeter version. It takes 130 botanicals macerating for eight hours to create green chartreuse. The final out products, ABV, 55%. And its flavor lands herbal, slightly medicinal on the palate. Whereas yellow chartreuse is a bit lower in alcohol. It's about 40% and leans sweeter on the flavor profile. The green chartreuse gets its color from chlorophyll, whereas the yellow gets its pigment from saffron. Both colors are naturally occurring. But to get to that outcome, sounds like a lot of work. Does that sound familiar? Having your own clothing line manufactured is a lot like brewing the perfect chartreuse liqueur. It can take years, literally years, to perfect every element that goes inside of the perfect release, from the patterns and getting the shape of every single pattern piece perfect, to the materials and making sure that they're going to withstand the test of time and the different use cases that your customers will be putting them through. All the way down to button selection. I remember doing a manufacturing run for a top and uh, I got to make myself one as well. And I loved the top. It's one of my favorites. Um, but the vintage buttons started cracking <laughs> after we sewed them on. Um, it's the little things like that that you can spend months solving the problem and still getting the aesthetic and the outcome that you want. So manufacturing, there's so many different facets that go into it that reminds me a lot of brewing the perfect chartreuse liqueur. Over the years, we have manufactured everything from uh, athleisure wear to athletic wear to um, on-runway structured wovens that are just eloquent and beautiful and couture referenced and you know, I've seen so many different facets and so many different problems. I've had a lot of firsts. <laughs> and just when you think you've seen it all, you get exposed to a new issue that you're going to have to solve. And honestly, when I look back, I can see a theme in a lot of the mistakes that get made uh, when manufacturing lines. And it's so hard because when you think you've seen it all, a new thing uh, rears its ugly head and you have to solve that problem. But there are three themes that I see that 
emerge again and again. Um, and it's always innocent. It's always things that come up where the designer wants what's best for the product, but they're also racing the clock on budget and on deadlines and on launch dates and on investors and everything else. And these three common mistakes, honestly, they just, it comes down to being a lot like brew and a liqueur. Um, and a lot of finesse. And so I want to go over those three with you today on Pull the Thread. The first is designers make a product that is too complex. And this can be broken out several different ways. The most common way that I see complexity emerge is that they have too many colorways. Designers want to offer so many different colorways or so many different styles, but the colorways are really what can be the kiss of death in the manufacturing line. So what is a colorway? A colorway is, let's say, for example, you have a, a short and it's going to be uh, like, a, like a knit, right? And the short has uh, the main color is black, but then there's a trim on it uh, being white. Well, then they also want to offer another colorway that's white with a black trim, and that way they can economize their fabric usage. They can order the same amount of both color fabrics, and they can use the same amount um, of each, and then still having produced two different colorways, right? Two different shorts on one pattern, on one size grade, which is amazing. Like, that is the way to go. And then they have a contrast fabric, and they want to do a contrast trim, um, rather than being a white trim on a black short or a black short with a white trim, uh, let's say they want to have a red trim, uh, but then they decide they also want to do a white short with a red trim and then a red short with a black trim and a red short with a white trim. And now they have six different colorways um, and it becomes chaos on the manufacturing line. And the cutter has cut too many of one trim because they are, are seeing into it and it's, it's overcomplicated. And then the stitcher has actually accidentally created... Um, the one colorway that doesn't exist being like uh, white with the red trim or, you know, it just, they mix it up. It just gets too convoluted and there's waste and there's wasted time. And yes, your manufacturer should be on top of it, but you would not believe how chaotic it gets in there when you've got all of these different colorways. And then you've decided that you want, you know, three smalls and 10 mediums and six larges of the black with red trim, but then you want 20 mediums of red with black trim. And it's, it's, it's very easy for things to get so, so convoluted and confused and you experience delays and you experience quality issues and you experience waste on your dunnage because we've overcut the wrong trim or we've overcut the wrong self or we've cut too many of the wrong size front with um, the correct size back. There's just too many things that can go wrong when you've decided to add this many options. So if you're going into the manufacturing process and you want to eliminate mistakes that are outside of your control, I would advise you to not have more than three colorway options per design. And I would advise you to keep your sizes under control when it comes to changing colorways. So let's say you're going to offer a black with a red trim then you're going to offer the same amount of the black with the red trim in that size as you will the red with the black trim in that size. I would advise you to not break up your colorways. I hope that makes sense. Another issue with respect to the issue of complexity is too many design details. Um, for instance, let's say we did a top and it was absolutely gorgeous. And I even, I wear it all the time and it has a scalloped collar and it has a bishop sleeve. Um, we were discussing 
a couple different complicated stitchings. We were discussing embroidery in addition to these different stitch uh, decisions, all of these little conscientious design choices and details and just how complicated that gets because the moment that you add in that third complexity in, in stitch details specifically, you now have to send the cuts of the front of the garment or of the collar off to the embroiderer before it can come back and be stitched or before it can come back and even be cut. And now you've got material waste because you can't cut out that scalloped collar until it's already been embroidered. And now you have to create a gridded file that distances the cuts and the embroideries um, just enough so that you're not wasting material, but that you can cut out the scalloped collar out of this garment or out of the fabric after it's been embroidered. Do you get how hectic that can be? These are the decisions that your manufacturer and your design uh, incubator are making on your behalf behind the scenes when you want to have a design produced and you've overcomplicated your first designs. So with regards to complexity, I would really encourage you to limit stitch details to two items. So in that respect, okay, we've got a stitched scalloped collar and then we've got a bishop sleeve with an edge stitch, right? So we're not getting any crazier uh, than edge stitching um, if we're going to have little complex designs that require gathering, ruffling, bunching, scalloping. All of those details compound the time on the cutting and on the sewing line and can bottleneck your project if you overcomplicate it and say, oh, I need an outside vendor. Uh, I need an embroiderer. It's very rare that a manufacturer will also embroider. So I would definitely say by rounding this out that complexity is a huge factor when it comes to problems occurring in manufacturing. And those are two amazing examples of that. So when you're looking at your designs and you're prepping them to go into manufacturing, keep in mind how complex is this garment? If you have a third party like a fashion incubator that's sort of guiding you through these steps, ask them, is this the most complicated garment that you've seen? Because if it is complex, you want to make sure that the market that you're selling it to quantifies that. Is it complex for the sake of saving um, or serving a demographic, an audience, an underserved audience? Or is it just complex because you're getting your feet wet on design and you're having fun? The second most common mistake that designers make going into the manufacturing process is that they make too many things at one time. And I mean that in two different ways. So let's, again, break it down into two examples. The first example is they manufacture too many designs at one time. And it's okay to bring a lot of designs through the incubation process at one time. I personally prefer to do no more than four designs at a time just because of how exhausting it can be between pattern changes, fit changes, fabric changes, all of those things become a slew of tasks in the incubation process and the ideation steps. And so too many designs at one time can often look like, let's say you have 10 ideas and you have now walked 10 ideas through the ideation process and you've got a tech pack and you have a pattern and you have a sample of 10 different things. You have a hoodie, you have seven t-shirts, you have a pant, whatever. It gets overwhelming 
because as you go through in or into the manufacturing process, you now have, let's say, five sizes of 10 different designs. So now you have 50 individual different garments. God forbid you have two colorways. Now you have 100 different garments. Does that make sense? And it gets very, very overwhelming when you start breaking out the sizes of those. Um, and the colorways multiplied by the sizes multiplied. Let's say you've got five of each design in a size medium of each colorway. It gets to be a bear. And when it comes time to sell and to market and to keep organization in your fulfillment process, it becomes overwhelming. Okay, so manufacturing too many designs, by that I don't mean garments, I mean actual designs. Like I would really encourage you to keep it to four designs um, and then have two in the hopper. And that way, as you've launched, because when you launch, you learn so much about yourself and about how to launch well that you're like, dang, I wish I had product coming down the line to launch again, because once you've burned your, um, burned your marketing strategies through, you're going to be burning it up on social media and an ad strategy, um, that you're like, dang, I need two more garments that I want to be able to drop in a month or to be able to mix up the styling and mix up the photo shoots with. So the best way possible is to only manufacture four garments at a time or six garments at a time and then release two after you've released the four and not manufacture more than that because the quality control, the manufacturing, the palletizing and the shipping and the fulfillment on that is obnoxious when you do more than that amount. Another example of manufacturing too much is too much product in general. A lot of people overestimate the demand on their first launch. And so they end up manufacturing too much product and then they're sitting on product and they have already marketed every way that they possibly can think of, but they're sitting on 50 hoodies or they're sitting on a hundred backpacks. And so what I want for you when you launch is to keep up the pace of the demand or keep up the pace of your supply with your demand. And in doing that, I honestly would recommend you manufacture, unless you have a crazy high uh, social media following, I would recommend that you not manufacture more than 50 garments of each style. And that is including your colorways. So maybe 25 black short with red trim and 25 red short with black trim. Keep it simple. Do not overload yourself with too much product because the bear becomes getting rid of it, even if it's looking great and it's got great engagement online, you want to sell out. You want there to be a waiting list for your product. And that sounds crazy, but it is much better to pre-sell and to have a waiting list than it is to be sitting on six month old product. That was actually the rise and fall of FUBU. If you've ever, um, if you've ever heard Damon John speak about his story, I got the, the, um, I got the luck of, of hearing him speak and meeting with him and, and hearing him talk about the rise and fall of FUBU. He said that where they went wrong as a brand wasn't even really stylistically. It was having too much product and the product being everywhere in the market that it ended up being in bargain bins. And that's what was killing the brand slowly um, was having too much product in general versus the far other side of that pendulum swing of that, of that spectrum would be Hermes, which is this perceived scarcity uh, as if they don't have enough product in stock, um, as if you can't get the Kelly bag, if you can't get the Birkin bag versus, uh, which is 
completely not real. Um, I have uh, spoken to someone that used to work for Hermes. They have every color of every bag in stock most of the time at every store. (laughs) It's there, but it's a perceived scarcity that drives up the value of the brand versus FUBU, which had so much product in every store all the time that it was just saturated. It was a saturated market and that doesn't breed good sales. So you want to mimic that framework in your mindset going into manufacturing, make it a hot commodity product. Yes, emotionally you want unlimited product because you want unlimited sales, but the reality is like you are not Nutella. You cannot make everybody happy. You cannot sell your product to everyone. Get very specific on your niche market. Get very specific on how much product is going to sell and plan to sell out. Selling out is still sold out. If you only had 30 garments or 50 garments, it's still a big deal. You still get to say you sold out. So those are my two best examples as far as manufacturing too much product. That's the two things that I see most when I see people be in overage land (laughs) Um, would be just the overwhelming amount of product when they do too many garments or they order too many different designs at the same time. You really cannot zero in on good quality. You cannot zero in on good packaging. You cannot uh, maintain a certain level if you're overwhelming your manufacturer, no matter how big that manufacturer is. If you're overwhelming them with too much product, Um, or too many designs, I have seen on the manufacturer side of things, a really interesting trend come about since COVID. And that is that manufacturers are more interested in doing a run of 50 to 200 garments than they are of 500 to 1000 garments of each style. Uh, And that's because the scarcity of having the stitchers, having the employees, having the seamstresses to be able to fulfill that product. I saw it on a small scale in my small batch manufacturer, in my business, um, in that it was harder because the more people in the room, the more likely we were to catch COVID, swap it out, people get sick. And if people get sick, then one part of the design um, gets throttled or bottlenecked. And so they were more interested in these manufacturers that I have been speaking with are more interested in doing business deals that lower their risk and diversify it rather than bring in a boatload of cash with one customer because they want to diversify their risk in the projects that they take on. And by limiting the amount of colorways, by limiting the complexity, by limiting the sheer amount of garments supplied, they're able to do that. Mistake number three, I feel like I have covered this, but maybe that's just because I feel like I'm a broken record about this one thing, this one thing. If there's one thing that you do before you sign a manufacturing contract with a manufacturer, if there's one freaking thing, make sure that your product, the sample that you are receiving from your manufacturer is sale ready. What do I mean by that? I mean, it is perfect in terms of the kind of stitching, the kind of thread, the exact fit, the fit across all of your pattern sizes and in your supplies. You are not changing out a single dang thing about this garment between the sample you hold in your hands from your manufacturer and the final product that you want to receive. Now there's a difference between the sample that you're receiving from in your finalization of your design process and the sample that you are receiving from your manufacturer. Oftentimes they're two different people. If you're going to a manufacturer to have all of your steps completed, some of them do all in one processes. Um, I'm a little bit leery about that. I have a lot of reasons around that. Um, but 
and and also manufacturers are dipping away from the incubation process. They want to just do the one thing um, because it, it costs them a lot. It's not actually a super profitable business. And so you have incubators, you have seamstresses, pattern makers, stitchers. Um, and then aside from that, you have your manufacturers. And so oftentimes you'll have a separate sample than you will from your manufacturer. When you have your in-hand sample from your seamstress or from your incubator, you're going to take that to your manufacturer and you're going to say, do this for me. Make this, and these are the details. They're all in my tech pack. I want you to make them. Oftentimes, designers get so anxious, chomping at the bit at those final steps that they will rush through into contract with a manufacturer before that manufacturer has given them a garment that is exactly what they want. For instance, the neck tape is not stitched exactly how they want it. It is not the correct kind of thread. Uh, They are having a tension issue. Um, The fit is still needing a little bit more rounded out around that shoulder. If any of these things are an issue for you, you need to have your manufacturer run another sample before you pay them money, before you sign a contract. That garment has to be sale ready in your hand from the manufacturer who is making your product before you sign on the dotted line. I have personally experienced it. I have had designers try to push us to manufacture product when it still needs one more sample. I have been on the other side of that where I have been influenced and I've given them the product and then they have argued with me that the fit still isn't right. And I'm like, that's not what you ordered though. You said it was good. You said run it. So I don't want this to happen to you. As you go into those final steps and you start leading into manufacturing and you have your patterns in hand, across your graded size range. That means you have a pattern in every size that you want to sell. You need a sample in every size that you want to sell. And that way, you know for a fact that you're happy with the quality, with the type of stitching, with the kind of thread, with the interfacing that you have shipped them, with all of your supplies, with all of your fabrics, with everything, with the exact way that you want that garment to arrive to you in boxes or on a pallet ready to sell to your customer You want to be happy with the deliverable. If you're not a thousand percent over the moon, do not sign your contract. You still are not ready because what you don't want, let's say you have an issue with the size large of your skirt. You don't want that to happen with 50 of those garments. You want to figure out what the exact issue is, isolate it, get it fixed, adjust your tech pack if needed, and then run another sample and then sign on the line. These three things come up time and time again as I have incubated different fashion designers, as I have manufactured for different fashion designers, and it's fascinating watching the ways that they morph into a totally different beast of an issue. And so um, that's exactly what I want for you. If you are leading designs towards the manufacturing process, um, maybe you've been following along with this podcast as you ideate your own designs, Make sure that these three things are not going to come at you in that process. And hey, if you are wanting to have your designs manufactured, you've been hearing me talk about how what we do at a brick and mortar, this is not an invitation (laughs) for sales. I'm actually not accepting any new clients at this time. Um, As sweet and endearing as your emails have been um, to manufacture your product for you, Music City Sewing is not accepting any more manufacturing clients at this time. We don't have the time or the bandwidth or the resources to be able to help you. My personal schedule is far too haptic to be able to take that on. I'm not in a position where I want to continue it without me being there. My travel schedule is too insane. 
I am far more interested in helping more people in one go. Um, so with that being said, my time is strictly being limited to handling my artist roster and helping them and prepping them for tours and red carpets and putting out this podcast for you and everybody else who is in your exact same boat and launching courses that help you guys do this. And so, yeah, if you didn't know that about me, I have an online course that teaches seamstresses how to be more profitable in their businesses. It's called the six figure sewing pattern and it's on my website, crystaldouglas.com. If you're not listening to this podcast on the website, um, and then coming very, very soon, I wanted to launch it in the beginning of February. So I've already announced it, but it's been a while getting the tech correct because as soon as we got back from Italy, I flew to new Orleans for work. And then as soon as I got back from new Orleans, I flew to LA for the Grammys for work. And then as soon as I came back, I've been working on tour preps ever since. And so I really wanted to launch the course, um, the project fashion forward. I really wanted to launch it in the beginning of February. So whatever time you're, you're listening to this, if it's in March, when this episode is going live, it's coming soon. I promise. I sound like a broken record. I just want it to be good and I want it to truly help people and I want it to be right in the way that the tech works. And so that course is getting launched very, very soon. If you haven't heard about it, it is Project Fashion Forward. It's for aspiring fashion designers who want to launch their own clothing lines but don't know where to start or they've been trying to work with us as a company and I do not have the bandwidth. And so that's where I'm sending you is Project Fashion Forward and that is going to be me, the way that I would consult people on an hourly rate. It's me guiding you through the entire ideation and tech pack and patterning and sampling and grading processes to get you ready for manufacturing. And yes, even the steps to help you find a manufacturer, negotiate a manufacturing contract and quality check your garments on the far end of it. So I want to launch you through that entire process. I want to walk with you on that, but in a self-paced formula that everybody can use and benefit from at an insanely cheap rate compared to what I was charging people on an hourly rate. So I get my time back. You get the best version of me, not the underslept version of me that is racing to get through those calls with you guys because I have to catch a flight or be somewhere else or prep a tour. And so I cannot wait to bring that to you. And if you're listening to this down the line, yeah, check it out. It's Project Fashion Forward on the website. It's in the store and it's on Thinkific at the moment. But this is episode 19 of Pull the Thread podcast. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it was educational for you. The next episode, we're going to delve even deeper into more details about the manufacturing process and about launching your own clothing line. If you've gotten manufactured, what to do while it's being manufactured? No, you're not supposed to be driving your manufacturer crazy, asking them how it's coming. You're supposed to be working on your branding and your marketing and how to launch and be profitable by the time you hit launch. So that's what episode 20 is going to be about. If you love this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Please subscribe. Give it five stars. Do what you need to do so that more people just like you can find it. Your reviews are the main reason people discover this podcast in the store. And I am blown away by how many people are listening. I love seeing that people are listening all over the world. It brings my heart so much joy. It reminds me that this is exactly what I need to be doing with my time. So please give it five stars, five stars only. None of this four star crap. If you were giving it a review, you're doing five stars. Subscribe if you haven't already. See you soon on Pull the Thread.